Welcome, everyone, to another episode of our Coffee Breakdown podcast. Uh, today, we have with us Jorge Gonzalez, who is a postdoc at the Differ Institute. He is working mostly on uh, scrape-off layer and edge plasma modeling, particularly on linear devices. So welcome to the podcast, Jorge. Hi. Uh, thank you for having me, Aaron. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you here. Actually, so one of the reasons we decided to bring you in this time is actually the last episode we had uh, Renato Perillo mm. on, and he was discussing your topic, but more from the experimental side. So yeah. edge plasmas, how to do experiments and, you know, how it works from that side. And I remember him saying something about that at the state of things are right now, it's sometimes better to just do the experiment and see what you see. But of course, you work on the modeling side, numerical and theoretical modeling. So I imagine there is a lot of interplay between these two. And I wanted you to explain, let's say, the same field, but from your point of view. So first, what do you do? Um, how do you use these models? And how does it tie in with experimental um, observations and experiments in general. Mm -hmm. Okay, so well, uh, focus is on trying to simulate uh, Magnum PSI, which is the uh, plasma linear device that uh, is operated at differ. It's uh, quite unique in the world. It can uh, mostly replicate the heat and particle flux that are expected at either reverter. So that is something unique. There is no machine in the world that can do that uh, right now. Uh, so that is a particularity. But uh, the, the important thing that uh, we are trying to do is uh, to use the same tools that are used in typical script of layer and edge modeling for Tokamak. Uh, main tool is called uh, SolPS Eater, which is uh, a code that uh, has been uh, used for decades. And, uh, but uh, yeah, what we want to do is to use this tool and apply it to a linear device as unique as Magnum PSI, which is not easy. Uh, but why we want to do this is because then first we can validate uh, the code against Magnum PSI, which is much uh, faster than doing uh, for a tokamak. Uh, we can uh, extract uh, more information both experimentally and uh, numerically than from a tokamak. And uh, also because then we know that if we see some effects, some dynamic, uh, both in the plasma and the neutrals, if we are using the same code, uh, and this is validated with experiments, we know that we can translate these informations to, uh, to a tokamax diverter. So that is a, a huge point uh, to have a similar uh, code, uh, uh, to have a small and simple machine as Magnum PSI compared with, uh, with a tokamax and be able to, to extrapolate information from one machine to another. Okay, and do you think, I think this was also a comment by Renato, that there are often large differences between linear machines and tokamaks. Like there are regions where they are the same, and then there are regions where they are not. And the question is how extrapolatable are these two in your experience? Hmm. Uh, well, that's a good question. Uh, when you go to a linear device to try to start information uh, for a tokamak, you are only looking at like uh, the last uh, leg uh, uh, from the diverter. You have these uh, magnetic field lines that uh, impact uh, your diverter and transfer a huge amount of uh, heat and particle fluxes. Uh, so you really, in a linear device, you can only focus on the last part. Mm. First, because of uh, the geometric uh, the geometric difference between the two devices, uh, so this is something that you cannot replicate in a linear device. But also because what you really want to see is how this plasma will interact with the target and the neutral that are in that region, and that is usually something that is complicated to to obtain in a in a tokamak uh, device because uh, the diverter is not a, a region easy to access sometimes uh, it has a very specific function to 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 remove heat uh, from the device and to to not contaminate the, the core uh, uh, to 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 pump away the 
the byproduct from from the from the fusion reaction. So so you really don't 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 want to to mess too much with uh, with that uh, part of the of the machine. You don't really have viewports uh, that uh, that can easily access or, or only that region. Uh, you you always have to 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 go to to other part of the device. But uh, if you can have similar densities, uh, temperatures, and fluxes. You can really say, okay, I have uh, this influx of plasma to a material. Uh, we usually use uh, tungsten, but uh, we are also testing more strange uh, things. Uh, so at least what you can get from a linear devices, uh, at least from uh, simulations mostly, is. Uh, for example, what are the relevant atomic and molecular process? Because when you have this plasma impact into the target, uh, it will transfer a lot of uh, a lot of energy, but also the the ions will get uh, recycled at this uh, at this target, and they will become neutrals, and these neutrals will interact with the plasma, and that is also an important thing on how to to cool this plasma. Uh, so you really can extract information, and if if you know uh, which process are relevant or, or how to, to uh, increase the amount of collision process that appear, that's something that you can extrapolate uh, to, to a tokamak diversity. If you are testing uh, a device to, to reduce or, or some idea to reduce the heat flux to the target, to the diverter, you can test that into uh, linear devices. Uh, uh, you can put do an experiment that will give you a large amount of, of experimental data because Magnum PSI and in general linear devices, you can access a lot of information, a lot of uh, di different diagnostics. And then uh, simulations will give you a lot of uh, additional information about uh, mostly collisional process. Uh, uh, it can give you information where diagnostic cannot reach. And that information, that the important information that set of a relevant process or, or how impurities behave or, or how to reduce the heat flux can be translated into a tokamak. I see. Okay. And so in a way, the linear devices allow for smaller, quicker experiments yeah. to be run about fundamental processes yeah. happening close to the material surface. Like, because one of the, I guess, questions was that these processes at least in the tokamak, the, the plasma source in some way is dependent on what's happening at the surface because then the impurities flow back and they change your, your plasma beam, your incoming plasma. But yeah, that, in a linear device, these are usually separated, right? Yeah, that's well, that's something also that uh, because from Magnum conception and design was designed to operate uh, completely independent from what happens to the near the target to near the source. Mm -hmm. Now we are starting to think that maybe this not this is not true for all the cases because we are doing simulation that show that this might change and we are planning experiments to to behave that. But uh, well, you can check a few things that will happen upstream and how this will affect the plasma. But this is not the object of a linear device. Mm -hmm. uh, linear device, at least uh, Magnum PSI in particular, and all the devices uh, in the fusion community are planned to, okay, we want to see how this plasma will interact with this surface. And there is a lot of physics happening in this small region that is important. You, you once that, for example, when we work with uh, lithium uh, as a um, one thing that we are trying to achieve is to have uh, lithium in a porous structure, expose this to, to a plasma. And one way that the plasma will lose energy is by evaporating this, uh, this lithium because it has a melting point relatively small. So uh, and uh, have a, a low evaporation pressure, so it will get evaporated. It will form a cloud that will also assist in, in, in uh, radiating away energy from the plasma. And that will be a way to reduce the, the plasma uh, the plasma energy. When we do that kind of uh, of experiments, uh, the amount of diagnosis are limited because of this uh, lithium cloud. So, in that point, we have to also go back to to simulations to see what's happening. And one thing that we want to know is uh, 
these lithiums will get uh, charged, will get ionized. Uh, are they being transferred uh, upstream the plasma, the plasma beam, for example, because that is an important thing uh, regarding impurities. And this can also happen with another impurity. So we can study this kind of dynamics. Uh, we cannot study from uh, the complexity of, of the full divertor leg in a tokamak, but we can provide estimations on this. Uh, that's another thing that can be done. But the, the focus is more near the target, what's happening, how, how the plasma chain, uh, uh, can we really, we have a plasma from uh, in the conditions of ether, can we really mitigate it completely? Can we detach it uh, just by uh, introducing neutral particles to, to extract energy from the plasma? Those are things that uh, can be studied with a linear device like Magnum PSI, uh, both experimentally, uh, of course, but uh, also with uh, simulations. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so we pretty much covered, you know, the differences between linear devices and tokamaks. But on some sense, it was also what you brought up was that simulations allow you to see things that in an experiment you, you can't because yeah. there's just a limit on the types of diagnostics and also what those diagnostics can actually measure. Um, so in that sense, maybe you can explain a little bit how these simulations, like what in these simulations give value back to the experiments in terms of what extra variables they can see and, and how you interpret them. So for example, one thing that is uh, difficult to to see experimentally, uh, because in a simple hydrogen uh, case, uh, in Magnum PSI, you will have uh, ions, hydrogen ions, and uh, you will have uh, atoms of hydrogen neutrons, but you will also have molecules and uh, molecular hydrogen. And when you uh, introduce additional gas for a detachment, you do it in a molecular way. Uh, so one thing that simulations can show, which is not uh, easy to, to obtain experimentally uh, is how these uh, molecules and atoms interact with the plasma because they have different way of uh, iterating. For example, uh, uh, an easy difference is a molecule that is composed by, by two atomic hydrogens uh, can uh, dissociate uh, because the interaction with uh, mostly uh, high energy electrons. And that is a process that doesn't happen in, in, a, in atomic hydrogen, of course, because you have nothing to dissociate. <laughs> right. uh, and, and those are things that uh, if you can obtain it somehow experimentally, which is extremely complicated because you have to measure uh, uh, distribution of, uh, of atoms in density, temperature with an extreme accuracy, uh, you have to uh, you have to take into account an exact amount of the amount of gas that you are injecting in a way, which is almost impossible. In the best condition, you will be able to do it in a point, in, a, in, a, in one slice of the plasma. And that is not good because you, you, you want to see what happens in the, in the whole volume of the plasma mm -hmm. because you have interactions in a, in a large region. And... For example, some experiments that, uh, that uh, especially those based on, on lasers or, or, or light basically have issues when you try to look close to a material because you have reflection, for example, and so you have to have uh, perfectly aligned uh, lasers. You have to try to avoid the interaction with the surface. So it's not easy to, to obtain in, uh, information of things that are happening really close to, to surface. And those are uh, situations in which simulations, because uh, usually you, you need to, to, to get the, 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 real, well, the real dynamic of the thing, you have to simulate a huge volume, much more than the points in which you can measure. Uh, simulations give you the whole device. Uh, so you can extract information from each point you want. Uh, you can go as close to the target as you want, for example, to see what happens there. Uh, one thing that, uh, for example, was uh, being checked is, okay, you have an ion that interacts with a surface, this recycles into a neutral, but then 
the neutral gets ionized again by the incoming plasma and it can enter in a, in a series of cycles happening millimeters in front of the target. And that is extremely difficult to, to, to measure. So you, you really need to, to go to simulations to see what happens in this dynamic, for example. And as I said, for example, uh, when you are in these cases uh, that you are evaporating uh, a metal, like lithium or tin, which are two that are we are mostly trying. Um, you are limited to diagnosis because you have this additional species which uh, adds a lot of uh, unknowns to the case. Uh, uh, also, lithium especially tends to deposit in a lot of the viewports of the device, so you cannot access those uh, quite easily. So, if you constrain your experimental access. Or, or, or just because of how your experiments are set up, you can only look at that point. You really need simulations to, to check the, what's happening in, in the rest of this point. Mm. Experiments will allow you to look at, at one region, but simulations will allow you to, to look at, at the whole. Which right. Is important. So in some ways, because also these different species, you want to also know not just are they there, but where they're coming from. Right, and if you look only at a single point, you can see how much is there, but you don't know why. Right, exactly. you, you you're limited in that type of information, and so the simulation sort of expands how much you know. Yeah. Okay. Now the question is: It seems like a very complicated problem you're working on, right? There's there's plasma, then there's normal get neutral gas, then there's different species, and then there's the interaction with the wall. So there's a lot of factors happening to make the scenario or the what the physical phenomenon that you're seeing so these codes then these simulations must be incredibly computationally expensive or at least complicated so how does how do you go around working with that right is there certain simplifications that can be made or do you really have to go down to first principles for everything um, well, there are a few things. Uh, the first simplification that we do, which saves a, lot, a ton of computational resources, is that we assume that the plasma is a fluid. Mm. This, yes. uh, this means that the, the plasma behaves in a way that is closer to a, a high-density gas, which is uh, a magnetized high-density gas, which is an awful simplification. But... Uh, <laughs> But this allows to, to use a different set of equations that uh, simplify the computational requirements. That's, mm. uh, and that's a good point. Uh, but we have the issue of this uh, neutral particle, which don't behave like, like this. Uh, they don't follow this fluid approximation. Mm -hmm. So for that, we, we have to go to kinetic model, which basically look at the uh, at the particles uh, uh, almost individually and follow the trajectory. And then these particles interact with the plasma via a different set of collisional process. And for that, you need uh, the second big assumption, which is, uh, okay, how this, at which rate on, or how these uh, particles interact with this uh, plasma. Uh, you need to have information about uh, uh, collision cross-section. We mostly tell you how often this collisional process happen, but you also have to take into account how energy involved in this collision uh, is distributed among the particles, uh, which are the products. Uh, an atom can get ionized, uh, a molecule can, can get uh, dissociated. Uh, a lot, lot of things can happen that we have to include, or at least we, we have to cover uh, the most basic process that we think that are relevant, or that we have information, which is also a, a limitation because this, uh, these calculations and these measurements uh, of collisional uh, rates and cross-section that are required quite delicate and not everyone knows or want to, to employ decade on in obtaining this data, which is another important thing that uh, we have in, in the fusion community for modeling, that we need data that uh, nobody is or nobody 
things that nobody wants to to obtain and it takes really a lot of expertise to, to get this data so that is another important assumption uh, uh the third one probably will be how these particles interact with uh, the surface uh which you could do dozens of theses about uh, this topic in uh, because it's it's an it's an infinite topic uh um, you have a lot of process that can happen um infusion they seems to be uh, constrained to to the ones that affect for this high density plasma mm. uh obvious uh, uh, the obvious one is sputering in which you have a high energy atom also or ion impacting a surface and then an atom of the material of the surface just gets sputtered away mm -hmm. uh, so that is uh, an important one that it was especially quite relevant when uh, when tokamax had uh, carbon walls mm -hmm. uh, now it seems that uh, with tungsten is not uh, it's not so so relevant but uh, still important and as we go up in power it uh, will increase it will we will need to, to also take this into account. Uh, but really, the treatment of the walls is uh, relatively simple. Uh, I'm also working and collaborating with a group in Italy, which is trying to do a model to, to couple with this uh, edge code to, to try to improve how these targets are, are treated uh, and try to put more physics into it, because we really will need to, to know because okay, you 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 simulate your plasma, and you know okay, I have this, I have a heat flux to this uh, material, mm -hmm. and uh, okay, I finish my work. Uh, but that's not true. Behind that, you have uh, you, you need to a way to to extract that heat uh, because you have cooling systems. Uh, you need to to check erosion because uh, if especially if you want to extract energy from a tokamak, uh, this will operate for a longer time. Uh, so these are things uh, that uh, you have to take into account uh, in a way. And uh, now we are starting to look into into it uh, more in deep. So that those will be probably the three basic assumptions that we are using. There is uh, fluid uh, plasma that mm -hmm. uh, is fully magnetized. This uh, collisional process between neutral and plasma and this... Uh, treatment of the materials uh, on the surface of the device mm. and with that you can put together very complex codes uh, that take all of this and thousand mil thousand parameters uh, into account and they give you a solution the thing is how do you trust this solution and this is when we have to go back to experiments, to, to validation, uh, to, to reevaluate the physical process, if what the assumptions that we are taking into account are valid or not. And uh, this is uh, mostly an iterative process that uh, just go in circles until we are able to extract some data. Okay. Yeah, the validation of your models are, of course, incredibly important. And that's true. There is a big circle there on on between simulation and experiments, right? Like this, the experiments need simulations to understand what's happening, but then the simulations need experiments in yes. order to validate the model, right? So it's yeah, like it's infinite it's, loop. <laughs> it's, it's a vicious circle that nobody knows how to break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's no way to really break it. You just, as you say, just keep iterating until they converge, it's, right? <laughs> yeah, you, you just... Hopefully they converge. <laughs> yeah, you, you just kind of have to validate uh, with some things and then expand the experiments with another thing that your code can can produce you. Uh, for example, we, we are when you go to experiments, you try to validate with uh, microscopic parameters that the experiments give you and mm -hmm. the code uh, give you. And then you say, okay, then this means that for these conditions, my underlying assumptions are valid. And I can, in these conditions, I know that I can uh, expand and I, this, the information that the experiment uh, gives me, I can expand it uh, with some comfort. It's, uh, if I'm in these parameters, I know that uh, things will behave so and so. But uh, yeah, if, if you move 
outside uh, these parameters uh, and you try to predict what's going to happen you you will never be sure until you validate again and then yes uh, the, the circle just go off on and yes because there's so many different like the complexity of the code is so high yeah. and so many things can change when you just want to move to a different like plasma regime or something or or change the wall yeah. or what that it becomes impossible to even say with certainty that the translation between what you know and where you want to now run it is is valid you know hmm. okay that's true but i think also one of the things i want to come back to that you mentioned is these collisional processes this mm -hmm. atomic cross sections also the, even the materials problems with like heat transfer and, and stuff like that these are concepts that are not fusion specific right they cross over into many many fields so obviously uh, i would assume that in these codes that we are already utilizing the knowledge um, from these other fields and also returning it's a way of having uh, let's say the work that we do in fusion mesh with other, you know, industries and research around the world uh, that is not fusion specific. So in, in a way, do you think that fusion really helps to push forward these concepts, especially for these specific materials we're using? Or do you think that it's already sort of someone else is interested and we just take their data? Uh, there has been, uh, during the decades, a lot of data, particularly for collisional process that has been done for fusion, and it's still being done for fusion that uh, can expand because uh, to, to other fields, uh, because in fusion you are most interested in hydrogen, heliums, and isotope of, 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 of hydrogen mostly. Uh, so you, and you need data in a wide range of, of parameters. Uh, but nevertheless, plasma is uh, any physics, any plasma physics is quite multidisciplinary, and, and you can always get uh, some information from another uh, another field of plasma physics and either contribute to new information or, or obtain new information. And uh, I know uh, in in terms of collisional process, there has been a lot done. And now in terms of materials, now that we are looking to, to particularly the next generation of, of, uh, of fusion reactors that hopefully will produce uh, net energy and electricity and will save the earth. Hopefully, yes, <laughs> hopefully. That's, that's why we're all here, right? Working on this, yes. <laughs> then then do you have to, to start looking at lot of material. There is a lot of material size in, in fusion field uh, more from how this material will sustain this. Uh, so just, uh, anal uh, just analysis of defect in the materials, uh, damage, uh, damage by neutrons. Uh, you have a, a lot of people working on that and how we can create new materials or new structures to, to, to mitigate this damage. Um, how these things will translate to different uh, fields, uh, I, there is translation between uh, these uh, fields, obviously. Uh, might be that because the fusion community has uh, a clear objective, uh, it might not be that interested in in other fields uh, currently because of the objective of, of the fusion communities is quite uh, clear. But uh, I, I really think that uh, fusion is always looking for, for other solutions that might help and other uh, communities, particularly in, in plasma physics communities could, should look into fusion because you are doing things in a, in a wide range of parameters of temperatures, densities, and um, there is uh, a lot of a lot of learning, a lot of information to to exchange. And I'm sure that uh, materials and concepts that are being tested for 
for for, for new tokamaks and uh, will be used in the future for all the things. I I know because there are people at differ that they are trying to use the same plasma parameters uh, that uh, that are used in fusion scenarios, for example, for uh, for uh, microprocessing, uh, microprocessor uh, uh, manufacturing, uh, for quoting or or materials with a surface or uh, doing uh, doing. Um, doing modifying structures by by exposing them to a plasma which is uh, you have also a huge industry working on that uh, it might be that in the past it was not uh, economically uh, or it was not easy to achieve the conditions uh, for the plasma in a reactor just to to apply for a uh, for a, an industrial process for example because it was not uh, worth it but now that the fusion technology is evolving and we have to, to evolve uh, and we have to improve these additional technologies, these uh, linear devices to generate uh, plasmas and things like that, it might be that all of that will end up uh, dripping outside to, to other fields. And that is good. Maybe as a community, we'll, we should try to, to be, go a little bit farther, but uh, yeah, we, we do what we can. <laughs> I do admit it sometimes, yes, like fusion, we have a goal and it's very, uh, we're focused on that. Yeah. And in some way, that is all right, in the sense yep. that we, we, we push this. And if there are other people looking in that see some data of value or some research of value, then of course, I think most people in fusion are quite open to discussing, right? Um, but yeah, as you say, we don't really search them out on our own. But it's nice to have that cross pollination. I always find it's interesting to talk to people from other fields to, you know, sort of see if what we're doing is useful to them. Plus, also, if they have a solution to a problem that we have, they've already developed. Um, these are things that are very cool to to keep your eyes open for and your ears open for. And I think in such, like, especially in your work where there's so much complexity and so many different processes involved, um, it's maybe easier or more advantageous even to do that, right? Um, it's because it's almost impossible to put everything together on your own. Yeah. You might as well get some people who have already experience in that particular aspect to help. Yeah, yeah. yeah particularly the field of, of plasma surface interaction or plasma mm. material interaction. Uh, there is a lot of, of uh, cross knowledge uh, from uh, yes, uh, material science and engineering that uh, now is coming. Uh, it started coming for ITER uh, because ITER needed uh, a whole new set of, of uh, materials mm -hmm. uh, for, for operating, and now it's starting to come in. And uh, I think that when we improve the understanding of how a plasma will interact with, uh, with this material, that will open the the possibility to to treat uh, uh, to do other things. I I don't know. I remember there was a talk at DFE a few weeks ago. I think it was a person that was using a plasma generated at DFE to create the nanostructures in nickel. I think. Oh. For, okay. For for um for electrolysis. Because then you 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 increase the, the amount of of uh, surface exposed to to your to water mostly, mm -hmm. uh, so you you can make uh, better electrolysis, and uh, uh, that is a good uh, thing. We we have imp we improve uh, the knowledge of how this plasma interacts with the surface, and we can do new applications uh, for this, and that is uh, quite interesting. And the 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 thing is okay, but. Can we learn more? And uh, can you go back to to your previous uh, steps and say, okay, I have now learned this. Uh, we can we can review this other thing. It's um, sometimes it's this is uh, when you start doing research, as you know, you never know when you are gonna end up. Mm -hmm. and, yes. But uh, yes, as we have discussed, in, when you work in fusion, you have a clear objective, but. Uh, Obviously, it's good to deviate from that somehow. Uh, maybe you cannot do it as much as you want, 
<laughs> but it's good to have some flexibility. But right? uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, it's good to to always uh, keep uh, eyes and ears open. Uh, try to learn new things. Try to just get all the information that you can because you never know what's what's gonna be useful. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think this is a good way to transition into your personal experience. Of course, this um, field that you're working in is not only, as we've mentioned, complex and diverse in terms of the physics and, and the technologies involved, but it's also quite cutting edge in the sense that a lot of people are still not sure exactly what's happening or not, it's nothing is really fully defined. There's, a, of, of course, a large body of knowledge already, but there's still a lot more to learn. And so how does it feel to be really working on that edge, sort of like where really nobody you talk to knows the answer? We're all speculating and seeing where it goes. Well, I, I've never feel that way, honestly. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. <laughs> you feel there's always someone who knows. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, I, I think that uh, maybe for for Tokamax in the past, uh, they were not, uh, the diverter was something that was there to just uh, remove things and make the, the, the Tokamak work. Uh, as, as power increase uh, and device become more complex, you had to start thinking about this diverter a lot. Mm. And... Uh, from that uh, you you got uh, you got devices like uh, TCB, which uh, usually try different configurations for this uh, diverter, and uh, and that uh, that uh, spawn a, a feel of okay we, we have to look into what's happening uh, we we have uh, power laws that uh, are reaching uh, the limit of what the best material can sustain sustain. Uh, how are we gonna avoid that this important part of the machine melts? Mm. Because if if this breaks, we cannot longer operate this machine, especially if we want to operate this machine for hours. When if you have a shot in a tokamak that is a second or five seconds, okay, yeah, whatever. But if if you really want to go to to a a power plant and you want to operate this continuously you you really need to to understand this so so that's say okay we have this extremely complex and extremely involved uh, region uh, we have to look deep into this and and this is uh, for me is an extremely interesting uh, problem uh, is uh, especially if you look at uh, from the point of view of magnum psi in which you kind of can forget about the most uh, complex uh, uh, plasma physics that happens in a tokamak. You just focus in this uh, small finished part. Uh, so you can focus really on, on uh, interaction with the walls and uh, interaction with the neutrals. Um, then uh, it becomes a, a really beautiful problem that really big question it what is happening. Uh, that's the big question in almost all research. <laughs> but uh, here is, okay, I have uh, this condition. Uh, what is really happening? How are my molecules uh, affecting? Because uh, for, for, for decades, molecules didn't play a, an important role in, in, in devices, but now they, they will play an important role. Um, uh, so how can we put all of this knowledge together and extract some useful information? And that is a really important problem. It's also quite um, quite frustrating sometimes. Maybe it doesn't get the, the full attention that deserves uh, from the fusion community at some points, but uh, uh, because there are other more interesting things to, to explore in the core and <laughs> and things like that. Perhaps, but perhaps no. I mean, <laughs> there's been a lot of shift of the focus into the, well, pedestal physics and then also scrape off layer physics and then the diverter region with detachment and, and vapor yeah. shielding and all this stuff. I think that the focus is slowly shifting there, but that's because it's goal oriented, as you said. Yeah, exactly. Right? As you build a power reactor, a reactor that will produce net energy, 
these things need to be solved. We need yeah. to understand them or else the machine just, it will work, but it won't work as well as we want it to, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and if, so, you had, if you had a lot that Tungsten could support, hmm. it, it would matter much less because uh, uh, your, your problem will be reduced. But even Ether will operate at the, at the, at the limits of, hmm. uh, of what stand, pure Tungsten can, can, can hold, can stand. So even for Ether, we will start seeing some, some issues. It might not be a big problem because Ether is still an experiment, so you can just stop it. Uh, you can even remove the diverter if you want. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that they have a few of these uh, just removing the diverter and putting a new one plan. Um, but uh, yeah, if you move uh, towards the next generation of devices, especially uh, with these uh, small devices that are planning in the in the United States, uh, this uh, Spark uh, mm -hmm. device, which uh, you are taking a, a huge uh, a huge power and uh, making it uh, in a much smaller region, so your your pro your power density skyrockets. And I, I think that they still don't know a solution for that. At least I was not provided one that was. Uh, well, I think they were they were looking at the Super X uh, thing yeah, with the flux I, expansion and I stuff heard, like that. Right? I've heard Super X that yeah. is that uh, you have your your diverters extended the uh, mountain. I have uh, received answers about uh, weird ways to just. The, mostly take the the walls of your of your tokamak and just uh, substitute to for for new walls. <laughs> oh, really? I, <laughs> like on the fly? <laughs> I I have I have here ways that you will immerse this uh, into a like not a bucket but uh, a, a con uh, yeah let's say a bucket of a liquid metal that you can just uh, chain when it's needed. Uh, so that was actually that was one of the last solution that uh, one of the last answer that they gave me in a conference, okay. uh, which was uh, interesting. Um, this so, is the this is the vapor box concept. Uh, not exactly. Not exactly. Uh, okay. No, it was it was not the vapor wall because it was this was mostly not for the diverter. It was mostly for the first wall. Ah, like liquid walls. Somebody yeah. was saying this to me before. Yeah. I didn't fully comprehend them. Did you? Yeah. Did you? No. Okay. <laughs> because <laughs> then, then, then you can take these liquid walls and just put it away and put a new one. It was like, uh, I, I don't know. It 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 sounds quite uh, it sounds quite weird to me, and uh, it's an interesting concept. But they say that this will be in in like 10, 15 years. But I still think that they have some issues with that. But happy to see how this evolves yeah uh, it, it takes some it takes some creativity right if yeah, everybody yeah. tries a bunch of things maybe and, one will uh, work no nothing <laughs> nothing nothing against new uh, innovative ideas uh, if they get the funding and it, it works uh, it would be amazing mm -hmm. uh, whatever but i think that there is also an issue from a concept to having in operation for 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 a power plant Mm. And that is what's happening. Uh, that is, that will be a big change from ether to the next reactor demo. Yeah, that's true. I think there's a lot more discussion happening, even in the fusion research community now, about things like uh, availability of the reactor. Uh, yeah. You know, design for maintenance right yeah. how often does it need to change how often do we need to shut down the reactor to change things can, can we have humans to change things or do we need exactly. robots exactly. Uh, because of uh, yeah i mean if a few scientists uh, die nobody cares but if uh, <laughs> Maintenance people start dying regularly. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not really an issue. <laughs> yeah, that's not good for uh, for PR or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 yeah. You, you have to start shifting your your point of view, as you said, uh, uh, to to more to other things, and it is where where your diverters become important. This is where, where you have to talk about your your liquid diverters. You have to to talk about the vapor box that you mentioned, which is uh, an old thing that time working to to have uh, working at uh, in magnum psi uh, because that hopefully will be a, a a good way to to 
objetivo de, de Flags Towards the Deeper Door. Uh, I have my hopes up for that. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I guess that's a, that's a good thing to ask then in your personal opinion, like which of these diverter concepts or technologies do you think is going to be the most um, okay. feasible one moving forward? Just your opinion. <laughs> I might be yeah. a, a bit biased because as I I'm working with uh, with a vapor post concept to to test in Magnum PSI and and see that it's working. But uh, uh, the main thing is that uh, you you need to have a large amount of neutrons uh, to to reduce this plasma energy this plasma flux. Uh, the issue is if you have a lot of neutrons, then this uh, escape to the core and that uh, reduce the temperature of, of your core and then you, you have uh, just have killed the, your, your fusion reactor. Mm. And then you don't have a, a fusion reactor anymore. Right, yeah, you don't uh, have plasma anymore. <laughs> yeah, uh, so uh, the simple way to do this is, okay, let's design something that retains as much as possible these neutral particles. Because then this will allow you to reach high density of neutral particles that will uh, reduce the, the plasma energy. And uh, if you reduce the amount of particles that are escaping up to a level in which uh, they don't affect the, the plasma because you can have different chambers or, or you can have a chamber and then pump these particles away. Uh, in between uh, different chambers, that is uh, things that uh, have been uh, planned uh, uh, for other things. Or, for example, if you have a, a metal, a, a vapor uh, of a metal, then uh, this metal you can make it uh, condensate into the walls, and you can try to to recover it and clean it and add it uh, to to the device uh, to to this uh, vapor box again. Uh, so I, I really think that this is extremely uh, good uh, concept to to reduce uh, the heat flux because uh, the issues with these super, uh, super X uh, configurations is that particularly okay they 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 look good uh, when you look from an steady point of view. Uh, so okay, you you just uh, take your diverter leg and you make it as long as you want, as mm. far as you can have the magnetic configuration for it. Right. Okay. Then and and then you you need to worry less about the contamination of the core. Okay. Good. But um, as uh, at least uh, most of the work I have seen about this from a numerical point of view is related with steady state simulations and how it operate. What will happen when uh, when your diverter legs moves uh, and it's no longer controlled? You, you, I think that here we could start talking about the controlling of uh, of uh, the magnetic field, which uh, I have no idea. So um, better not start talking about that. <laughs> uh, so the thing is how how you control that is much more complex than just having a lot of neutral particles retained. Mm. So in my in my opinion, the designing of diverters. You can call it vapor box if you want, you can call it a closer diverter. It will be much more important to, to mitigate these, uh, these heat fluxes. Uh, just take this, uh, this incoming flux, uh, recombine it and distribute it along a larger, uh, a larger surface uh, that is your, your closet uh, box. And uh, in, in there, you can have uh, more neutrals or you can introduce these metals to, to have a different process. So, and you can, if you can do that without affecting the core, without particles escaping to the, or, or a large amount escaping to the core, then you can, you can easily control because uh, you know, you can estimate how much gas you need to put or, or how much uh, metal you have you need to have. Um, there is still some some things to 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 check. Uh, I'm working on on simulation for for the Magnum PSI concept for the vapor box that we are uh, designing. So things that we want to see a part of how much is the is the plasma coolant by this uh, vapor box is how much lithium is escaping this box. Uh, we can we can also check how much is this uh, box being heated up uh, because that is also an, an important thing 
But uh, yeah, I mean, as I said, maybe I'm biased, but I think that it's uh, it's, it's a good uh, concept to to have in mind, and it's a, a simple, relatively simple one. Yeah, and it's good to also believe in the concepts that you're working on, right? <laughs> Otherwise, why are you working on them, <laughs> right? I don't think it's a bias, but this is almost a necessary one, I think. Yeah, research, yeah. right? Okay, that's cool. Yeah, because like there are lots of different ways, as I said before, it's the field of of the diverter and the scrape off layer is starting to become more relevant or at least getting more attention from the fusion community at large and the what used to be considered i don't know out, outlandish ideas like very strange people are actually starting to consider them a bit more seriously now because they realize that our current solution, which is the standard diverter, is just not, it doesn't work as well as, as we want it to, especially if we move to power reactors. So yeah, the current diverters are usually referred to ashtrays. So yeah. As what, sorry? Ashtrays, ashtray. Ashtrays. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they, they have a function. It's not a pretty one, mm. uh, but if, uh, yeah. But uh, if you want to move, uh, you need to, to start thinking about uh, sometimes uh, weird ideas, but who knows, uh, you have to throw things to the wall and see what stick. Uh, uh, here at differ, we, we are trying to, to test this paper box. I know that the TCB are a mass upgrade and other devices are, are going more to, to this uh, uh, different configurations in, in the diverter uh, magnetic field, which I have nothing against, of course. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. But also that influenced the, the design of your device uh, a lot. Uh, so let's see, maybe maybe in the end it's, it's a combination of a lot of factors as usually happens. Maybe we need to do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Maybe for some situations we need to have liquid metals, maybe for other we don't need that. Maybe we, we just need to have a truly complex machine that has a lot of solutions and we will need a lot of uh, people from control system to, to determine which solution will, will be better for each scenario. Yeah, I think, and with that, I think we are slowly approaching on our time. <laughs> um, so thank you again, Jorge, for joining. And uh, yeah, just to remind our audience out there that Coffee Breakdown is a podcast where we're mostly focused on the human side of science. And it's good to remember that not only are um, we hope that you're learning from all of these discussions, but that we, myself, and our, all our guests are also in the process of learning. So thank you all for attending, and uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thank you.